Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Folkstead, joined as always by Reed Tingley. Um, we just had a, a nice little spring game. Uh, no fans allowed, of course, but we don't need to get into that. Um, lots to talk about, mostly in the quarterback room. So is there any, any opening remarks you'd like to make before we dive in? Oh, man. Um, well, first off, I mean, it was, it was just great to, to get to see the team back uh, in Autzen Stadium, uh, get to see players actually, you know, uh, work out in public and see people make some plays. Um, and then it was, it kind of caught me off guard a little bit. Um, a lot of the response that happened over the weekend around the quarterback competition, I guess, mm-hmm. I kind of thought that there was more consensus around it than uh, it seems like there is in the fan base. And so mm-hmm. it was interesting to see all this, all these takes sprout up on Twitter. Um, and, and, you know, now that I kind of afterwards, I was kind of thinking about it. It makes sense. This is the first time we've gotten to see all these guys really in extended action. I mean, we saw Anthony Brown a little bit last year, but I think this is probably the most attempts he had in a Ducks uniform in a given day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's like the first time we got to see all the young guys. So, um, yeah, it was, it, you know, we, I think we learned some stuff, uh, even though it's just one, one day and one scrimmage and you have to always keep that in mind. Uh, but it, yeah, it, uh, it was fun to, it was definitely a fun day to see it and, uh, I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, me too. I mean, uh, obviously we saw Brown on the first drive. Um, as the kind of incumbent starter, no surprise there. Um, came in, drove down the field, uh, had a nice little flip to Travis Dye, and he gets the ball in the end zone, uh, mostly with <clears throat> with his yards after catch. But um, I thought he showed some good composure on that first drive. I mean, he had a nice ball over the middle to, uh, who was it, Chris Hudson or something? That might have been the second drive, actually. Uh, but he also missed a pass. He hit. He, he overthrew Johnny Johnson on that right side. Could have been an right. easy touchdown. Um, yeah. So a little bit of a mixed bag. But uh, I don't know. Personally, I was watching the defense a little bit more. Um, so obviously, we'll get to that later. But I, overall, I don't think I saw anything definitive enough to shake up my conception of the depth chart. Um which That's, is Brown one and then sort of every, everyone else on the second row, second level. Yeah, I would say that, I mean, that is the line from the, from the staff um, right now is, you know, Brown was the guy who got the first team reps all of spring. Uh, and, you know, he, so he's quarterback one right now. Um, and a lot of people have kind of even said, He's the starter, and everyone else is just competing for second string. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm not quite uh, sold that that is the case. I think that that's true out of coming out of spring. But I would just caution people and say, you know, we have uh, two or three months ahead of us right now before we get into fall camp. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of time, especially for young guys like Ty Thompson to, um, you know, learn the playbook, build chemistry with receivers, Mm -hmm. get in the weight room, all of that. And 
when people have that level of talent, there can be pretty big leaps um, that take place in, in relatively short amount of times. Uh, and so, I, you know, I thought that was interesting. I mean, in, in terms of Ty, you know, there I saw people on both sides of the spectrum on Twitter. You know, some people said he looks like the worst QB out of the four, which just looking at the stats is kind of, um, you know, a reasonable thing to say, I guess. Uh, he probably... Mm-hmm. You know, there's an argument that he had the worst day out of the four. But, you know, then at the same time, uh, I saw people say, well, everyone else has been here for a full year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anthony Brown's 26 or whatever. You know, it's amazing (laughs) that uh, Ty Thompson is this close to everyone else. Mm -hmm. So it's there's kind of two sides to a lot of that. I I mean, I thought I I generally have the same approach as you, you know, like with Anthony Brown. saying that you, you didn't feel like you learned enough to make a definitive statement either way. But again, boy, if, if you look at the fan base right now, everyone seems uh, kind of charged to make it a, a definitive statement one way or the other. I, you know, I've seen people say, it's over, it's Anthony Brown's job, he's the quarterback, there's no point in even debating it. That's what Chris Ball said. And then I see other people say, did you guys watch Anthony Brown this uh, in the spring game? He can't be our quarterback this fall. He's not good enough to win the conference. Um, and particularly, um, you know, it seems like what people are highlighting with him is some of that inaccuracy with his deep throwing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like you mentioned, he missed that touchdown, would be touchdown overthrowing Johnny Johnson. Um, he had another ball that he threw well to Devin Williams, or at least kind of showcased his arm strength. Um, to start off his second series out there, I think. Um, but he led Devin Williams just out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, results are the things that, that matter ultimately, even if, you know, it looks like a tight spiral. If it doesn't land in bounds, as we all know, you don't get the yards. And when we're playing on Saturdays this fall, that's what's going to matter is whether it's yeah. a completion or not, not how tight the spiral looked. Um, he rallied and he hit he hit Troy Franklin later for about a 30-yard ball, I think. Um, and he had some good and bad moments. You know, for me on, on Anthony Brown, what I do like is kind of that experience, um, the poise factor that I think a lot of people have said. Um, he had on that first touchdown, he threw to Travis Dye. I thought that kind of highlighted some of the same stuff we saw from him in the USC game last year, mm-hmm. uh, where I think he just has a his has an impressive sense of timing that comes with age, where he he's able to kind of feel pressure, um, but not be kind of forced into making a mistake, uh, and he was able to kind of maneuver around and as the pocket was collapsing, just kind of spit that ball out to Travis, um, you know at. At, at the last second and uh by doing that travis had enough space to make a move make a cut and get into the end zone and he did that i think on a fourth down again with dj johnson mm-hmm. um in the usc game and he found travis on a third and goal i think that was a big play in the usc game um so stuff like that it you know is moments where i think younger quarterbacks um get really worried when that start, when that clock starts to tick and they're in the pocket and they see, uh, you know, for the first time maybe 
college-level athletes, college-level D-linemen closing in around them, uh, and they can make big mistakes in those moments. So I think that, you know, that is something that I think people have to factor in with Anthony Brown is, you know, given that we're going to the Horseshoe in Columbus uh, at at the start of September, who is going to be ready in that key third down? Um, maybe not to make the four, maybe you know, maybe not the, to make the forty-yard throw, but to just get the third and four, mm-hmm. uh, where they you know lofted over a defender uh, in the flat or something like that. I think one guy we know uh, is not going to be quarterback is Micah Pittman. Um, we had <laughs> one attempt and we got one attempt at this, at the beginning of the second half, which was one of a few different trick plays we saw, by the way. Um, yeah, I, I don't really get the thinking behind that at all, but, um, yeah, that was not a very impressive throw. It should have been intercepted and he was lucky for it to, oh, no, it was intercepted, wasn't it? Was yeah, it was that was okay, that was yeah. I think the lone interception of the day was uh Dante Manning grabbing that one out in the end zone. Nice, yeah. Um but yeah, I mean in looking at the stats, uh Brown threw twenty nine passes, nobody else threw more than nine. Um so quite obviously he's getting the starting reps, again, as expected. Um Butterfield and Thompson both got nine throws, Asher got eight, so pretty even distribution. They all through it relatively well, I think. Um, it was nice to see Butterfield take a shot on his first throw uh, down down the sideline to it was Franklin, right? I think. Uh, who, pretty on sure whose first Franklin. throw you said? Uh, Butterfield. Yeah. Yeah, yep. he got downfield yep, to exactly. Franklin. That yeah, was exciting did. to see. Yeah, um, and and actually, um, it was also uh, that was one of the spring plays I enjoyed because uh, JJ Greenfield came in. And kind of lowered the boom on Franklin. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of like one of the few spring plays where you actually kind of walk away and go, like, "Oh, that was that was kind of a good rep for both sides." Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but Franklin uh, held held on to it, luckily. Yeah, and I mean, I think something we can mention is that Franklin was uh, the leading receiver in terms of yards in this game. Uh, Thornton, Dante Thornton, was second with eighty nine. Franklin had ninety three yards. Uh, obviously Thornton had that touchdown as well. Um, other guys that stood out receiving the ball were uh, Isaiah Crocker, uh, Terrence Ferguson, Johnny Johnson as usual. Um, Chris Hudson I thought did a good job um, just being quick. He also yeah. looks like the kick return guy uh, as far as we're yep. concerned. So that's cool. Um, the kicking itself was nice. Um, what else? I'm trying to think from... From a receiving perspective, uh, you mentioned Micah Pittman <laughs> throwing the ball. Uh, he did have a couple drops. That's kind of disappointing. Yeah. I liked the mix of tight ends that we had in there. Um, it might actually blur the depth chart a little bit um, going forward, but I, I thought that was an interesting look. Um, and finally, uh, according to Jordan Kent, Micah Pittman had a great, or sorry, according to Jordan Kent, uh, Mikhail Wright had a great first catch, uh, even though it was actually <laughs> Devin Williams. <laughs> yeah, I thought, I that that kind of reminds me, like, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a funny uh, on both sides with the broadcast. I think the broadcast, yeah. you yeah. know, it definitely wasn't great in terms of, uh, you know, who whoever's right, whoever is, 
call in the spring game. Probably Devin Williams and Mikhail Ryder. Two names you need to know. <laughs> and you should probably know which position they play. But then at the same time, I saw all these people on Duck's Twitter like, oh, these announcers suck. And it's like, wait, well, you as a Duck fan should also probably know the names of the announcers. Yeah. <laughs> like Jordan Ken and Nick Aliotti, pretty important names for yeah. Duck fans to know. <laughs> so you're kind of exposing yourself there yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, pretty funny. Kent, Kent does a pretty good job with the Blazer games. I mean, he sort of got a trial by fire when Calabro uh, left t- skipped town last right. season but um i think he's he's done a pretty good job uh filling in as the full-time guy you know uh obviously he was not as prepared as he could be for this game again you can't really pin that on him that much i mean dude's in the middle of the blazers season right now it's a really tough time to well, yeah, get into the nitty-gritty good. like we do about ducks football all the time yeah it's just total pac-12 conference incompetence oh just exactly like, yeah that you know that just shouldn't be the guy uh calling calling the game probably yeah i thought uh, aliotti did, did a good job though yeah i i, I always like hearing aliotti's perspective um i mean even he it, it's funny like even he i don't think uh i'm sure he doesn't probably follow the program as closely as we do yeah um but he knows football well um so it, it's cool kind of to just hear him pop off about what his immediate impressions are of guys uh maybe not always having done having board over their high school film or something like that and one thing he didn't really get into that much but maybe i wish he would have was uh the defensive alignment and just kind of this is our first look at DeRoyter's defense really um yeah playing against the offense i thought there was some really interesting stuff there i mean essentially like two down linemen with two outside linebackers basically playing dn so i mean perfect spot for cave on uh mace funa was the other starter on that other side uh which again you know as we've talked about he's a lot bigger now it makes sense um and then with a pair pair of inside linebackers and basically five dbs most of the time which i mean it's not personnel wise i feel like it's not too far off from what avalos was doing obviously the position names and stuff are, are different but I mean, in terms of the guys we already have on the roster, it's nice that we can kind of come in and ease into positions a little bit more. Um, and again, like in large part, like these guys are going to be doing a lot of the same stuff. I mean, the the Kayvon interview, I think it was before the game, uh, just maybe it was during, talking about his position change of like he hasn't really been doing anything different in practice. I mean, yeah. he's still basically playing defensive end. He's just up now and, you know, probably playing a little bit different role when it comes to game time. Right. Yeah, I think that those, um, in terms of that personnel discussion and the new scheme, I think uh, definitely an area of focus is that interior of the D-line. Mm-hmm. I think we know Mace and Kayvon are going to be really capable at the edge spot, but just wondering about, you know, whether we have the bodies inside. And in that regard, I thought um, Keon where Hudson was a guy who really had a good spring game. Yep. Um, he had a couple uh, balls. I think he batted down at the line um, and just was getting a ton of snaps, um, 
which mm-hmm. was really good. I think uh, he's a guy that we're kind of looking to emerge a little more. Um, Dorless and Christian Williams are guys who had, I think, seen some more reps last year. Yeah. Um, so having Ware Hudson kind of this game, it felt like, uh, to me, kind of solidified him as a real, uh, you know, key contributor for next year. And then obviously you have Popo Amave as another guy in that interior D-line mix. So I think that with those four, I feel pretty good about um, what that kind of defensive tackle uh, type position looks like, whatever DeRuder wants to call it. Yeah, um, I agree. I mean, I, I was kind of concerned about like, I mean, because with your two deep, I mean, you expect every guy on like in in that position to be able to get the job done. And right. from what we saw, I think we're on our on our way to that definitely. I mean, Jason Jones, I think, is another guy who. I mean, I didn't notice. I wasn't exactly like walk, looking for him in the spring game, but if he can step up and just be a force in the middle, use that body to cause some havoc. I mean, that's a guy who can, I think, can totally get it done at the Pac-12 level. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, totally. I think that um, I think you know he's he's a bit more of a unique body type just because he's so big. Um, he might be a little more of a, a nose tackle kind of just. Um, Eat, the, eat blocks up inside mm-hmm. uh, or do kind of what we did uh, with Fat Mac early in his career. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, yeah, he, he's especially probably capable of playing at, in the Pac-12 just because, like we saw, like we saw with, with Jordan Scott, uh, when you just get a guy that big, uh, he can cause problems in this conference because we just don't have quite as many... Um, interior alignment to match up with that uh out west mm-hmm. and i mean as far as the we mentioned funa and kt we're, we're pretty confident in i mean what did you think of the guys behind them i mean we saw a lot of jake shipley uh on the near side i believe as as like Kayvon's backup um i think we adrian jackson was down in that uh sort of hybrid dn role too like hybrid outside right. linebacker spot. Um, by the way, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but Adrian Jackson has a name that just sounds like it should be said um, by, uh, <laughs> by by Keith Jackson. <laughs> Adrian Jackson comes down with the tackle. <laughs> That's my wish. Although, RIP to a great. Not Adrian, um, he's still here in case you were wondering. Right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I thought um, I thought that, uh, I mean, Adrian Jackson is a guy I just kind of keep hoping will put it all together. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, he was kind of, he came up, he came, came in uh, in the same class as Javon Holland. Um, and I think, you know, had a pretty impressive uh, early spring and kind of his speed has always turned some heads. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I just kind of have to see it with him in a real season. Um, but I think that he can be a weapon, definitely. Uh, and then Shipley, I mean, I'm encouraged by whenever I see him out there, I think that, uh, you know, he, he's starting to look like as a sophomore, like a real uh, football player a little more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's encouraging, definitely. Uh, Braden Swinson was a guy who I kind of had hoped we would see that I think was held out with injury. Mm-hmm. Um, 
who had come on last year. So that's another name that I think will be a, a depth piece at the outside linebacker spot that we didn't get to see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's that's how I feel mostly about it. And then there's a bunch of guys who are, um, I mean, like Navarrete and May. We saw. I didn't really have a big impression of either of them. Mm-hmm. And then there's a bunch of uh, you know younger guys who aren't even here yet. Like I think a lot of our our class. Um, with like Brandon Buckner and uh, Jonathan Flo, um, who I'm sure we'll talk about his older brother yeah. in a bit here, um, and like Terrell Tillman probably will be um, will be included in that in that uh, outside linebacker spot once they arrive on campus. Mm-hmm. So um, it'll be exciting to see if they can contribute this fall. Yeah, exactly. Um... We've mentioned inside linebacker before, and I think that, I mean, we're pretty set on that with ISM, Sewell, Mathis, and Flo, uh, and also Keith Brown, by the way, uh, had some right. had some minutes out there. Uh, another guy we forgot in the front seven was uh, Suava Poti, um, also got some uh, defensive tackle reps with the twos. I- I'm just going to call that defensive tackle because, like, it's not a nose tackle and it's not a DA. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, I, I think we can feel confident about the front seven. Um, again, just solidifying those guys at, at D tackle are really going to make the difference. Uh, I, I feel like for this defense, um, if, <laughs> if not the corners, which I, I don't really know how much you want to talk about corners. Cause when you're missing your like three out of your top four guys or so, it, it becomes really difficult to evaluate in spring game but right yeah 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 i think uh i think there's not that much of a point in talking about it uh too a lot i'm it was kind of weird because or unfortunate because i think um you know tying back to you know the quarterback competition we didn't get to see uh that many people go up against you know um that many of the quarterbacks throw against uh, kind of loaded secondaries. It was mm-hmm. pretty thin, especially when you got past the ones. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, always kind of with the walk-ons, it's it's great that they kind of go out there and they help facilitate practice and all of that. But I think, you know, they're not the guys necessarily that most of the fans are interested in hearing about because they're not going to be that likely to play. Um in you know meaningful minutes this fall yeah um, but i would say you know brian addison had a pretty good day he came up and made a good hit um and you know continues to be kind of good uh or just impressive just in his length um and then manning had the interception on Pittman, which is kind of a uh has an asterisk by it because it was thrown <laughs> by mike <laughs> Pittman. <laughs> um but uh, I thought he had a solid day. I mean, I think it was cool to see Jalen Davies start out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he was a guy who I mentioned in the last episode, I think could, could buy for some time. So this is kind of an opportunity for him. Yeah. But like you said, it was tough to really evaluate that seriously. I mean, it ended up being cool because we got to see some wide receivers make plays. Um, but it didn't tell us that much about our secondary other than, you know, hopefully we don't suffer a lot of injuries at corner because <laughs> the product isn't going to be great if we do. 
Yeah, I mean, you did mention the receivers, though. I thought the receivers were great. Um, again, a lot of young guys stepping up. Um, Jalen Red being out kind of helps facilitate, you know, distribute the, the uh, touches a little more. Um, same deal at running back. Like, Aaron Smith got a lot of carries. Um, I think he actually got the most. Yeah, he got 15 most on the team by far. Next was C.J. Verdell with six. I mean, obviously, Travis Dye was taking some, like, reps, but, you know, we don't need to see more of Verdell and Dye. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, We, it was, we were it was hoping for the Cross Patton show. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it was, it was unfortunate. I think it proved, in a way, it proved our prediction right that we would see a lot of Cross because I'm sure he would have gotten a ton of carries if he was... If he was um, available yeah, uh, yeah i'm sure he would have gotten a lot of the carries that aaron smith did um because as kind of as we predicted didn't need to see much from burdell and die mm-hmm. yeah and i mean as far as it goes like aaron smith probably isn't getting a lot of snaps this this season in real time um again like these guys are getting closer to the field than we ever will so like it's good for them um, but Aaron Smith, another walk-on guy, uh, from California, just getting some touches. Uh, I think we're assuming that, you know, dollars and well dollars with the asterisk and Trey Benson will, and, uh, Cardwell will all be in front of him. Um, by the time the, uh, the season gets going, Cardwell, another one of those guys who wasn't, uh, available for this game cause he's not on campus yet. So, right. Would have been nice to see him. Would have been nice to see seven uh, in the skill positions, but you know how it is. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it was nice to see. Uh, it was nice to see Steve Stevens. Uh, I think he got the start at safety. Um, he's a guy I continue to think has a chance to be a, a starter potentially this fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I think. Um, I mean, the Justin Flo show was pretty apparent, too, to me yeah. early on. Um, he had a big play, I think it was in the uh, end of the second quarter, where he um, kind of burst through a hole on, um, on, on a pass rush situation. And uh, it looked like he could have maybe uh, kind of gotten a strip sack on Anthony Brown, um, Anthony Brown was kind of in the throwing motion and I think, uh, Flo kind of pulled up. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but cause, cause you can kind of hurt someone if you, uh, hit the, hit that arm in the middle of their throwing motion, especially if you're uh, just in flow. Right. But obviously, you know, I mean, one, when you just see the, in, even in these limited reps, um, you just kind of see that in the first, you know, uh, 15 minutes of guys out there and you you think about that in the context of a game and those plays can completely change how a game plays out mm-hmm. I, you know i mean if you know if we're playing ohio state and he gets through that hole and he can strip that ball um that that's just instant uh kind of flip of momentum right there um so it was definitely eye popping to kind of just see his talent. And it was really fun to actually see him in an Oregon uniform. It felt like 
we it it felt to me kind of almost for the first time like he was really a duck because he almost mm-hmm. felt the same as all these other recruits before this game because um, we just hadn't gotten to see him actually you know have snaps um, in an Oregon uniform very much so that was cool yeah I mean like you said I think his his one like escaping fleeting moment last season was like a kickoff return like hit that he had you know nothing nothing super exciting other than like just oh watch out for that guy but again when he doesn't get any snaps it's really hard to evaluate in game so yeah I mean I, I think he did play really well um when he was out there again like the the big question with Flo is always like can the coaches get him to, you know, hit the right hole, hit the right guys, instead of just, like, letting him go hit whatever's in front of him. Because <laughs> um, he's right. really good when he does that, but you got to get him to go in the right spot. Um, right. So, again, that that's something that it's a good thing that he's been here already for a little bit, and self-acclimated. It's a good thing that the defense can, you know, hopefully improve and honestly like i do have confidence in this system from what we've seen so far i have confidence in deroiter um i thought that there were a few plays where like in a spring game again with the lack of hitting and stuff you're like oh wow that really could have been a big like defensive play like that's one where the whole stadium would get really loud um with a big defensive stop but um, right obviously you can't you know you have to sort of temper yourself as you react to these things so yeah i mean overall again the defense was missing a lot of guys today or today uh the other day so was the offense but i mean i can't stress it enough like jamal hill dj james mikhail wright uh were all out for this game so not, yeah and those are yeah. those are i mean mikhail wright and jamal hill in my opinion are probably our two most talented guys in the secondary um Verone maybe having an argument there, uh, and then James obviously yeah, a starter. James is too, a starter, so. so yeah, yeah, it's tough. Um, what other just general observations did you have? I mean, we're kind of all over the place right now, but is, is there anything else you want to throw out there at the moment? Yeah, well, I think kind of um, you know uh, maybe we can go back to the QB competition a little bit. I think. Um, you know, I, I, we could just, uh, I, I've been, or I wrote um, earlier today an article on the Oregon QB competition, kind of going through what we saw from all these guys. Um, so I could kind of go through a little bit um, about my impressions about each of them. Um, because like I said, I think that, uh, you know, there's a bit more of an opportunity for some of these guys to um, come in and, and uh, you know, make a case to start this year than some people realize um or at least kind of uh the the Oregon fan base is all over the place I think that people realize it a segment of the fan base realizes it about each uh option Mm -hmm. but I kind of want to make I kind of wanted to show you know the strengths and weaknesses of each of those arguments so that um that piece should be up on Ducks Digest soon after you guys have uh are listening to this if it isn't already. Um, but yeah, we could, you know, since we kind of went through a lot of the team, we could kind of go back to that. Um, 
I think, uh, you know, just kind of going in, we talked about Anthony Brown a fair amount. Um, Jay Butterfield was, you know, had a pretty good day. Um, I thought, uh, like we said, he, he hit a lot of those good passes. Um, and, you know, my question with him is just, uh, what what do we think about you know how his mobility is going to impact this offense if he's the guy? Will that kind of um, lack of a running threat uh, kind of hurt this RPO system? Because obviously you know that's really what the whole philosophy is based on. Going back to our time with Chip Kelly is having uh you know all these options um and threats on a given play mm-hmm. uh so you know you have the you have the handoff to the running back you have a pass out to someone and you also have the threat of the quarterback keeping it sometimes um and so i you know i wonder if he has a um if he can overcome that uh to kind of give himself a chance and if not then who else steps up yeah i mean we didn't like you said like we we didn't get to see a, a ton uh, from Butterfield's legs, but I think it's more a question with the quarterbacks at least of just mentally can can they make the right reads? Um, right. I think Butterfield did a pretty good job. Obviously, I'm not like a quarterback like coach or anything, so I don't really can't evaluate these guys super well. But I mean, that one throw to Hudson or not Hudson. Yeah, yeah, Chris Hudson. It was Chris Hudson. Looked really sharp, you know, just getting it out quick. Um, he also had that touchdown pass to Hudson. So, I mean, again, it's it's very early. It's very hard to determine what's going to happen with these guys. But as far as Butterfield goes, I think he maybe made the strongest new case as a guy. Because um, for a lot of people, like, Ty Thompson was sort of just assumed the number two, if not the, you know, fighting for the number one. Um, But I think at this rate, it's safe to say that Butterfield is sort of ahead of him at that two spot. Um, And maybe even that Ashford is as well. I mean, what did you think of Robbie Ashford? Yeah, I think, I think that Robbie Ashford, um, honestly, I mean, in my, in in writing this article and rewatching the tape, I was pretty blown away by what we saw from Robbie Ashford Um, just because, you know, athletically he just, he doesn't lack any of the tools that you would want in a quarterback. Mm -hmm. Um, He threw a lot, you know, he threw a nice uh, deep ball to Dante Thornton down the sideline on his first series. Um, And then he came back and led a really good two-minute drill to end the game. He basically, mm-hmm. um, you know, hit a few chunk plays to receivers. And then um, he also capped it off by kind of hitting uh, Dante Thornton down the sideline uh, for the for like a 40-yard touchdown. Um, Not to mention so, that two-point conversion afterwards that won them the right, game. Right, exactly. Massive was air a, quotes around it. <laughs> yeah, there's a bit. Uh, there, there was a controversy around whether um, whether he uh, got in before his hand touched the ground. I think for me, I I, I kind of I was like, uh, he probably has some muscle memory to break there from baseball because yeah. obviously in baseball you're trying to get your hand down and touch the bag mm-hmm. um, when you are sliding in face force face first like that. 
Um, but in football, the, you definitely want to keep those hands up a little bit and make sure the ball hits the pylon first. Penix um, Jr. So flashbacks from Indiana, Penn State. Right, yeah, Penix Jr. That was like the yeah, that's the iconic uh, two-point conversion quarterback run. But um, but yeah, I think for me, um, you know, I kind of my conclusions from Ashford were um, first off, he he kind of has an athleticism that no one else on this team at quarterback really has mm-hmm. um, in terms of his running ability, and I know a lot of fans love. Uh, kind of dual threat quarterbacks from Oregon's history. Um, so I think that's great. Um, but I'm not sure, exa- I'm not sure that uh, how much Moorhead will prioritize having a dual threat running back in the same or a dual threat quarterback in the same way. Mm-hmm. I think that it's valuable for a quarterback to be mobile in a system. But this is a little different from Chip Kelly, where I, you know, we're not running a pure read option. Uh, with a quarterback keep quite as much as we're running this RPO system where the quarterback kind of, uh, you know, might have to be on the move a little bit, but ultimately is usually going to throw it to a tight end or, uh, you know, pass somewhere else. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, like you said, I think it comes down with a lot of these guys. It's just about them learning uh, how to make, you know, accurate throws and the correct reads and, you know, limit those mistakes um, as much as possible. Because the one thing that we kind of know about this situation right now is that Anthony Brown isn't a perfect quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, as, as a lot of fans pointed out, that deep ball of his is the flaw. And it's something that could be, um, that could cause a lot of problems for this for this team, if he really is unable to, uh, you know, convert on that and it turns into, uh, you know, if the spring game and that limited sample size is expanded and it turns into him only hitting one of three deep passes um, to pretty open receivers, that's going to be very worrisome and teams are going to be able to load the box and they're going to be able to, uh, you know, focus even more on CJ Verdell and the Oregon running game. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these guys behind Anthony Brown have the benefit. I mean, they all just have more arm talent than he does. They're able to make more throws than he does. Um, but the issue again is, is the experience and consistency. So if any of those guys can show it, they have a, they all have a higher ceiling than Brown does and they all can kind of through that consistent uh, deep accuracy, if they can master it, um, they can unlock another facet of this offense that it doesn't seem like Brown is going to be able to right now. Mm -hmm. And I mean, going again, going back to the stats in this game, Ashford only missed one guy. I mean, he, he completed seven of his eight passes. I mean, that's again, super, super small sample size in what's basically a practice, but you know, you can deduce the the larger thoughts about that yourself. Um, well, yeah, but I think you know that that was kind of what stuck out to me when I was going back over the film was if you look, if you want to go back and watch, you know, for the people listening to this, if you want to go back, there's some link on YouTube with the full game that I found. Mm-hmm. Um, you can rewatch it, and 
Ashford, uh, you know, almost doesn't make a mistake in his time on the field. And that's really something that can't be said for either um, Butterfield or Thompson. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I mean, Ty Thompson um, had a kind of a troubling series in the red zone. Um, He got down into a goal line situation and he kind of threw these two passes into pretty tight windows and both of them, um, you know, were in the area where they could have been de- intercepted by the defense. Yeah, and that's just kind of to me is a is a result probably of him either having a little too much faith faith in his arm just because you know he thinks of himself as a five star and he just kind of has that brash freshman energy, mm-hmm. um, or not having adjusted to the coverage that a college level defense uh, presents. And so that's worrisome because if you throw those interceptions on the goal line, I mean, that's an easy way to lose games is to not convert in the red zone. Yeah. And I mean, again, you were talking about reads, uh, especially as it pertains to Butterfield making good reads. That was like the main problem with Shuck last year. Just was that like, yeah, he's a great athlete. Obviously, he can throw the ball well. We saw that on multiple occasions last year, but making those quick snap decisions on every single play, every single down can really be difficult. Um, right. So, yeah, hopefully that's something that improves this year, no matter who's at quarterback. But, I mean, as far as it goes now, I, we kind of already answered this, but how would you if, you, if you had to, how would you project the QB depth chart right now? I think that, um, I mean, it, it just seems to me like I don't, I, well, okay, so there's there's an important <laughs> difference here between what I think should happen and what I think will happen, right? Okay. Um, I think that Anthony Brown is probably going to be our starter. Yeah. And it seems like, uh, he has a good chance of just holding it for the year. Mm-hmm. And I say that because he got every single rep with the first team this spring. Um, and I I don't have a reason to think that he isn't our best option at quarterback necessarily. It's not like the other guys below him performed that much better than him. Um, and like I said, I think, you know, there's the obvious indicators of his poise and experience are very valuable and if that's what the coaches are seeing in spring so far, that's, um, you know, that seems totally reasonable to me. But my issue is, I think that, you know, and in fall camp, and we probably should have done this in spring camp, the reps with the ones should, should be opened up mm-hmm. a little bit just mm-hmm. to see what that does to the rest of the guys in the room. Um, yeah, because again, all, all we heard all offseason was that there's going to be a QB competition. Right. And then we get into spring, and like you said, Brown's taking all the the first-team reps. Like, that doesn't sound like a competition to me. That, to me, sounds like, oh, hey, we have like a short amount of time to make this really big decision about who's going to be quarterback. Like, Because to be honest, yes, like you have months and months and months. But it is a short amount of time that you get to spend with these guys. I mean, every rep really does count in practice. Um, Yes. So it seems really odd that we would just have – 
I mean, again, it's not that odd that he's the guy they chose. It's just that they sort of chose Brown as the incumbent starter before the fact is before spring practice. That is, is kind of interesting to me. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because I mean, it's, I, for me, it's just, it really isn't black and white. I see both sides of this. Um, you know, I mean, I, it, it was interesting cause I posted something, um, on Twitter just saying kind of, I thought that people unfairly judged Anthony Brown off of one series, basically. And they said, oh, he missed the throw to Johnny Johnson. Mm -hmm. He can't be our starter. Yeah. And yes, that's a throw that, you know, you you have to make or whatever, but sometimes you don't make it. That's kind of the reality of the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And but but, you know, there so it kind of set off this debate in my comments about what is, you know, what's going to be the deal with the quarterback. And it, it wasn't just, it, I didn't start the whole debate, obviously. It was going on <laughs> throughout all of Oregon Twitter. But one of the places it took place was in the comments of, of this post I, I made. Um, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, uh, it was uh, tweets by Dre kind of distilled this question really well. I thought he said, you know, what has Anthony Brown done that shows that he's head and shoulders above the quarterbacks behind him while yeah, he's exactly. been at Oregon. Yeah. And he hasn't done anything while he's been at Oregon, really. You know, he yeah. had a good performance against USC, but he hasn't done anything. And that's valid. But then on the other hand, you know, I someone else said, well, he has 5,000 career passing yards and 40 touchdowns at the college level. Mm-hmm. And none of no one else on the program has anything yeah so that's a really interesting thing to me um and i thought it was also interesting i think um uh dre referenced um you know the development of herbert and he said Mm -hmm. you know and when was kind of making this point it really paid off for us that we threw herbert into the fire early and in doing so it kind of came out that he was a real, he became a successful quarterback later in his career at Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are, people are drawing back to that time and saying like, well, is, is, uh, Anthony Brown, you know, Dakota Prukop of, of sorts, is he that level of ineffective? Um, because you know, that's the transfer quarterback we know, or it's Vernon Adams. Um, I think that there's a lot bigger spectrum than just those two options. Mm-hmm. But I also think an important difference is what is the context of the team right now? Because Prukup and Adam situations were not only, or the results of them were not only different because they were pretty different players in terms of their talent, but also because they existed within really different teams mm-hmm. um, context at the time. In 2015, we still had the remnants of the Mariota years and we were in win now mode and when Vernon took over that ship he was able to put us at a playoff caliber level I absolutely believe that Mm -hmm. anyone who really watched the season probably knows that as well Mm -hmm. um the next year we were not that team at all um we were not in win now mode in 2016 as much as people thought we might have been entering the season we were simply put not a very good football team at all um and and drawing to now to this football team that's the that's the question that is kind of 
brings context to this entire quarterback debate is are we developing right now or are we in win now mode? Mm -hmm. And I think that the two factors that kind of uh, put a point to that debate the most are one, we have the best recruiting class we've ever had come into Eugene. We have, and it's an offensive loaded class, which is what the future of college football looks like it's going to be right now. Mm -hmm. But the other point is we also have Kayvon Thibodeau on our roster for his last year. Mm -hmm. And he is a generational talent at defensive end or at at an yeah. edge pass we'll, rusher we'll position. Yeah. <laughs> right. And we want to take advantage of that. And so that kind of is, is the interesting context that I think all this is operates under is, you know, are we trying to go towards the future or are we just trying to win now? Um, so, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree about the context of the things. I mean, I think the 2015 season is a perfect example of, like, if even if you have, like, a ton of talent around you, like, the quarterback is going to make or break your season, um, ultimately. I mean, like you said, when Vernon was in, we looked unstoppable. When he was out, we looked like we couldn't stop anyone. Right. So, I mean, like, obviously Vernon can't play defense too, but it's more so of, like, the attitude of the entire team coming in. Right. Like, is this, you know, let's be honest with ourselves. Like, these are college students. These are guys with re their own thoughts and opinions just as much as we have. Like, right. they, they see the rankings every week. Like, they know if they're favored or not in a game, usually. Like, they they know the you know they can take temperature on a game before it happens and yeah that will sev like severely affect like how somebody plays so i mean it's just right now i really like the confidence that this team has um overall again we are in like this win now mode like we're talking about and so i do think that um if we can just get off to a good start in the ohio state game not even like like if even if we eventually get blown out, like if we can just have something to fall back on from that game, um, that'll be really really valuable to this group. And again, if even if we do end up losing that game, like if we can draw some confidence out of the Ohio State game, and we can you know keep our noses clean throughout the first half of that Pac-12 schedule, coming down the stretch, I think this will be a really really fun team to watch. Uh, yeah, because. As we mentioned in our schedule post schedule release pod or whatever the hell we want to call it, um, <laughs> the second half of the schedule does get a little more hairy, and there is that like three game stretch of like Utah, USC, and somebody else I can't remember um, that will really like determine how this season shakes out. That's zooming out a lot from just the spring game, uh, but I mean we have to be realistic here. Like we can't, I don't know. It's hard to seem like we have a playoff caliber quarterback right now. That's kind of the only thing that scared me from this, from watching this spring game. But I, I also think, think that, that, you know, it's not fall yet. <laughs> so that can change, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. I, I mean this, the, um, no, the, this Ohio State game is just such a big moment in this program. Um, 
And I think that, um, that, I mean, that's just another thing that kind of sets the entire stage for this quarterback competition right now is, you know, it, it, we don't have three cupcakes at the start of it. And then, and then Arizona and Stanford in a bye week we have Ohio state week two in the horseshoe. Like one of these guys is going to have to be able to, you know, play in there and duel out against a top five roster, at least putting it conservatively in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think there's some, there's some room for hope. I mean, Ohio state is starting a first time start is going to be playing a first time starter as well. Um, and we do have Kayvon Thibodeau and stuff. So, you know, if things go the right way, that game uh, is not completely out of the question to win. No, not at all. Um, or at least be competitive in. But, yeah, it, it, it there's just so much kind of going on. And it's, a, it's an exciting time because I like, I you know, I, I have a lot of things I like about each of these quarterbacks individually. Um but it's such a key choice in the program right now, how we do this. And it, it's also, um, you know, added stakes because of all the transfers that go on nowadays. You know, mm-hmm. if, if we choose Anthony Brown, there's this benefit that the other three guys probably all come back and we have a healthy quarterback competition in 2022. Mm-hmm. But if you choose any of the three young guys, who knows if the other two young guys are going to stick around. Yeah, true. Because, you know, the starting job isn't going to open up for a few more years and they're all talented enough. As we saw that, you know, all there are, there are absolutely jobs in college football that all of these guys could start at. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. If not this year, you know, in their careers easily, um, right. pro, you know, pro, I mean, literally all these guys probably are, um, Pac-12 starting caliber quarterbacks, um, you know, within the next year or two. Yeah, probably I think. lower end, but still, I mean, right. Yeah, we talk about like, um, Shuck didn't disappear. Like he didn't stop playing football. He went to Texas Tech. He'll probably do really well at Texas Tech because there right. are the heightened expectations of, you know, delivering a win in the horseshoe <laughs> that you have at Oregon. Um, also, just before we jinx ourselves here, like, let's not overlook Fresno State. Now, <laughs> I know that it's Fresno State and that they probably have never beaten us. I don't know. I, I guess I could look that up, but um, I'll, I'll just do it in the background. This is a team that won 10 games in 2017 and 12 games in 2018. That's right, 12 games um, three years ago. And yeah, that was a long time ago, but guess what? At this rate, our last season was our last good season was only a year after that. So I don't really know. (laughs) Like we don't, we don't need to be too far up on our high horses to overlook Fresno state and Autzen. I mean, yeah, I I don't need to get into why it's a trap game, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think that's a great point. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, okay. Okay. I have the numbers here. Oregon. Oh God, this is, wait, what? (laughs) Oh, never mind. I was reading it backwards. Uh, Oregon has played Fresno State nine times, and uh, you want to guess the record real quick? Um, Overall record of us versus Fresno State. Seven and two. Right on the nose. Good job. <laughs> you didn't have to look that up. That was great. Uh, but yeah, yeah. There's there's only a 
six point differential in there. What are overall. the what are so, the losses? Uh shoot, let's let me find out. Um Oh goodness, the first two. Uh nineteen eighty one and nineteen eighty two. We lost to him two years in a row. Um oh, wow. <laughs> the first one was twenty three sixteen. And then in nineteen eighty two we lost to Fresno State at home ten to four. Wow. Ten to four. That you, is not a that's not a score you see very often. Yeah. If you haven't listened to our uh first in what should be many um kind of history of Oregon football podcasts go go look it up we have one with ryan winter um in this thread and it's really great trust me that is not the most dismal thing in Oregon football history um definitely not <laughs> but anyways getting back to just thoughts overall on how this specific spring game will affect the season like again i i think defensive line depth is sort of the second thing I'm looking for after quarterbacks. Um, well, actually, maybe the third, because I keep forgetting to talk about cornerbacks. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, QB, I feel pretty confident about. Corner, I am kind of scared about, not going to lie. Um, yeah. And then but, yeah. defensive but, I mean, depth we, on the D-line. Yeah. But other than that, I mean... Shoot, man. I feel I feel good about the D line depth. Um, to be honest, I I I actually thought Keon. I mean, uh, you know, you all know I love Dorless, <laughs> but I thought Keon um, played really well, and I think Christian Williams. I think having those four in Popo, Dorless, Christian, and Keon, like I feel I feel really good about those four. I feel I don't, pretty good, but it's still in the sense of like we were expecting big things. We haven't seen big things. That's true. No, that's true. Cause yeah, I think with anyone, um, I mean, that's why I worry a little bit about it being a backloaded schedule because it, those things just add up. Um, you have to be college football has a certain rhythm to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to kind of get seasoned in that in order to make it through that whole thing. Um, and stay sharp and not underestimate people and not lose to Oregon State and Cal like we did last year. Um, but hopefully this group has, <laughs> has hopefully the group's learned some things. Um, but I think kind of going you I forget you made this point probably uh, 10 minutes ago now, but um, you were talking about kind of well what perspective do the players on the team have? I think it's mm-hmm. been interesting hearing um, cave on, and uh, Johnny Johnson and Verone, kind of leaders of this team, you know, they've been uh, not shy about saying, like, a national title is the goal here. Yeah. Um, Kayvon, I mean, Kayvon says he's going to win the Heisman. Right. With a straight face. Like, that's yeah. what you want to hear. That's what you want to hear, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm not sold that this is the team, obviously, that wins the title. I don't think any Oregon fans really are right now. But they could make a run at it. And I think having that mentality, and then even if this is just the year that Kayvon gets us to the playoffs, or, you know, I mean, that's optimistic. But if that were to happen, that would be a huge win for the program. Um, and let's to be get honest, that experience like, on that stage again under Crystal. Again, I, I dropped this nugget in the massive um, argument we had the other day, but like, 
<laughs> it has not always been it's very rarely actually and only recent very recently been the case that there are like basically three programs running college football um right being ohio state clemson and bama so it seems like this super exclusive club that you can't break into whatsoever and yet two years ago we had like a, a national champion outside of those three um yeah I don't remember what LSU's preseason ranking was that year, but I do remember the preseason. I remember was, the preseason ranking from 20, 2010 when the first time we went to a national title. Mm. Now, again, comparing that season to the upcoming one runs into a lot of issues, but no matter how it shakes out, I mean, this team it like it is okay to want a national title without sounding like an idiot. Like right. you, that doesn't mean you have to expect one. That doesn't mean that it's natty or bust this season, but it means that you are allowed to have. I mean, shoot, <laughs> we could be Fresno State fans. Like, let's be happy that we're Oregon fans and that we can at least, you know, aspire to this level. Um, in right. this season, like, let's shoot, let's go for it. Again, we like. It's okay to be pleasantly surprised during a season. Just because last year didn't shake out the way we wanted it to doesn't mean that we can't exceed expectations this season instead of right. falling I, below them. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know you, you make a great point about the fact that this sport has recently become very top-heavy with Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson, but that LSU did break through two, two years ago and that, you know, I, I always say this, there's a lot of room in the sport for a team, you know, when a team builds a program the right way for them to ascend to that level. I truly believe that. And I think that a lot of factors work in Oregon's favor in trying to get to that climb, especially the fact that we're in the Pac-12 helps us with mm -hmm. our path to the playoff, even though we have to have, you know, we have to have uh, at one loss at most to get in. Yeah, the I fact mean, that we don't have to go up against at, against Alabama and LSU every year or whatever in Georgia, Georgia is yeah is gonna Sorry, it, it, you know is a benefit for us, um, just like it's been for Clemson in the ACC and Ohio State in the Big Ten. Even though people want to act like the Pac-12 isn't similar to those conferences, they're they're not as different as people make them sound. Yeah, especially um, the ACC. I mean, after yeah. Clemson, it is a drop-off. Like, Notre oh, Dame yeah. is not in the ACC anymore. That right. <laughs> was a one-time right. thing. Yeah. ACC is never going to have two playoff teams again, I think it's safe to say. Yeah. Um, until we go to eight, but that's another debate. Um, <laughs> that we already at, if you want to check that out. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. We're in a really good spot as a program, um, scheduling wise, uh, because we like playing like, and this is a thing that Mullins and Cristobal have both commented on. I think either way, it's still going to keep happening. Playing a big out of conference game early in the season and then running through, a you know, relatively mediocre gauntlet compared to the rest of the power five. <clears throat> in the conference schedule is a great, great system to have. I mean, again, even with the Auburn loss two years ago, like even if you lose that early game, I mean, people don't knock you for actually playing. 
like for if anything you get praise for like that kind of game I mean even when Oregon blew that lead to Auburn we saw people saying like wow this was a great game I'm glad both these teams scheduled this game I'm glad they didn't schedule you know cupcakes early in the season and we got to actually see some good football like you get kudos even for losing those games that's the same thing that yeah. we've already been talking about with Ohio State like Let's not forget, Oregon had an outside playoff bid if we don't give up a third and 16 lob to Arizona State. Like, would have, would have been in the playoff, absolutely. Would yeah, I mean, yeah. especially if we beat that Utah team the way we did. I mean, right. so again, it just goes to show, like, this program is in a really good spot from all directions, I think. Um, so let's be happy about it. <laughs> let's not look for reasons to disparage these group of young men. Yeah, no, I think I think we are in a good spot, like you say. Um, oh, you're the one who says this all the time. Uh, no, that's true. Uh, that's very true. But I, but yes, I do think um, we are in a good spot. But this this uh, quarterback competition is just a critical a critical yeah. point um, to make the right choice because I, you know, I think. Even if it's you know, even if we end up going nine and three this year, which is very possible, I have to say, um, I think we'll be okay. Mm-hmm. But if we make the right choice here and we make it to a playoff, that can be a spark to um, for recruiting for all this stuff. Um, so I think it you know. Uh, it's an exciting time, but I'm glad that people on Twitter and everything have an opinion. You know, mm-hmm. I, it, it, if you're a fan of the program, you probably should have one. Um, I wish people were maybe a little more balanced in their uh, view of things and kind of tried to consider other sides of the argument, because I think this isn't a straightforward decision either way. I think that there's really clear reasons why uh, each guy has a, good you know has a benefit i mean it it was amazing to me and again writing this article just like to say you know why is there a four quarterback competition and is it legitimate um because you don't see four quarterback competitions very often and Mm -hmm. some people might push back against the fact that all four have a shot but you know i will say that in doing the research and rewatching the spring game and all that it you know it kind of became clear like there's a there is a case for each of these guys they all kind mm-hmm. of bring something different to the table um, you know Brown has his experience Ashford has his athleticism Ty Thompson has this crazy potential and then Butterfield's been playing really well as as well um, and and was got, getting reps ahead of uh, you know Ashford all of last season with the threes behind Brown and uh, Shuck and now is, you know, was the second guy who was brought out there this year. He seems like he's the most consistent of the young guys. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's 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 really interesting to see a quarterback room that's this dynamic with this many kind of viable candidates. Uh, I just really I don't think the Oregon quarterback room has ever been this deep. But again it doesn't matter if we, if we don't have a guy who's the top, top end, um, you know, that's another thing. You only get to play one quarterback, obviously. So it really only matters what they are, but 
you know, I, it seems like right now if, if we were in NCAA 14 or whatever, it's like we have four guys who are between, you know, 82 and 88 overall or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't have anyone who, who's elite yet, but um, maybe someone will pop. And I, I will again say over these next three months, a lot more can happen than people realize. This isn't a stagnant period. This is a period where people can develop a lot. And especially a guy like, I mean, Ty Thompson is the, could, would be the guy to watch. Um, and in fact, our, our man, Josh Pate, brought it up in his talking about the Oregon Spring Grand. The phrase he used was, watch for Ty Thompson to take a quantum leap um, over these next three months. And that's, that's what we're looking at because mm-hmm. when you have that level of potential and you've only been on campus for like three months, it's so much, I mean, so much can happen. He'll, when, you know, next time we hear about him in fall camp, he will have been on campus for twice as long as he's been here now. Mm-hmm. Um, so if he takes off, uh, that could, you know, that can still happen. I don't think that this thing is over, even though, Brown has gotten the reps so far, but uh, also, you know, like we said, Brown is is the leader in the clubhouse, definitely. I think the last thing I have to say, maybe we can end on this, is yeah. um, I've been digging around for uh, win totals, and so if you're not a better like myself, um, which I'm not even really a gambler, I just do it for fun sometimes. I bet like a dollar on random soccer games in the middle of the night. Anyways... Um, if you are kind of wondering what the like nationwide expectations are for Oregon for this season, quantifying it in win totals is a good thing, right? So our win total right now is set at nine and a half, meaning you could bet the over on that. You could take the under on that right now. I don't know. I'd probably stay away from that, to be honest. Um, and, and these numbers are from March. So before like spring even started really for us um but i still think that's a fair estimation at this point i mean that puts us at around like 13 like that it puts us like lower top 10 or just outside the top 10 in terms of expectations um national championship odds are similar they have us like a little lower pretty much mid-teens um so i mean that's like that's where we get one playoff team from every year at this rate, right? Like one, one team from that kind of lower, I don't even want to say lower, like all these, when I think of all these teams, like in the top 20, pretty much that I'm looking at right now, it seems like a bunch of like angry dogs barking to try to race up into the, upper echelon it's not like they're like yeah people falling down a cliff like trying to scratch at like something to keep them within eye shot of ohio state like we're not even double digit underdogs against ohio state right now that means something like yeah again like i don't i don't care if you bet or not those are the expectations um and what is what is um Pate say a turnover is worth like four points or something. Something like that, yeah. I mean, so again, this two, is this is we, football. If we get two turnover, <laughs> I mean, like if we get two turnovers, 
if, you know, or we have a two turnover advantage over Ohio State, we're basically betting betting uh, mm-hmm. a, a pick them with them or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, like, the I just want to give people like a general overview of where we think we are versus where the rest of the nation thinks we are. I don't think there's a big like gap in there right now. Um, but ju- that's just something to keep in mind as we venture into the void of no football related stuff for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything you want to add? Right. <laughs> no, man, I think we, I think we hit on it all. Um, yeah, uh, we'll keep on pumping out content as we uh, move into a period without any spring p- football. We'll, um, I'm in, I'm finishing up my finals right now, so after that we'll probably get back on the uh, the grind with our Oregon history series, and then keep on putting out uh, episodes when news breaks and stuff uh, every couple weeks or whatever whatever it is um whenever we have something worth talking about yeah we can dip Uh, our toes back into the recruiting talk yeah yes june is going to be crazy Mm -hmm. uh crazy month in recruiting when visits finally open back up we'll be hearing about jtt probably in two months here we'll probably actually know uh where jtt uh is going so that's crazy after um two years of that whole thing um so yeah, bunch of bunch of fun stuff coming up. Uh, it, college football is a cool sport because it almost never uh, lacks content or lacks things going on. It's it's truly year round now with recruiting and especially since Cristobal took over. So and yeah, yeah. It, it gives you nice periods to reflect on stuff too. I mean, right? Recruiting obviously is a three hundred sixty five day enterprise, but I mean. Even when there's no news going on with that, we can do fun stuff like this history project. So, um, yeah, totally. Yeah, read Reed's stuff uh, on Ducks <laughs> Digest. Um, I'm excited to read that personally. Um, yeah, it actually just got, I just got the text, it's just published. Oh, so sweet. yeah, p- please go read that. It's about, uh, it's a little under 2,000 words in my old fashion. Um, <laughs> And I took time out of my finals week to write it. So I hope you read it because I really tried to break everything down. Yeah. Um, All right. If there's any Timbers fans out there, probably not. uh, Go follow Double Post Pod on Twitter. And um, yeah, that's it. Go Ducks. Go Ducks.